All right. Good evening, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us uh, this evening after our long uh, holiday hiatus. Uh, super appreciate the time. Hope everybody had a great time with family. And hopefully the uh, new year for everyone uh, is uh, productive and uh, profitable and all the things you want out of life. So um, with us tonight, we've got uh, Dave, Blunty, uh, Dan, and Rob. Um, and, is Alex uh, too busy for where, us where's, where's studying or something? <laughs> too busy but, making uh, updates no. to the Freya map. Yeah, buy. there you go. <laughs> Gets a buy. All right. So uh, I do have a couple articles uh, this evening uh, for us. So let me get those going here. Let me... <clears throat> All right. So uh, announced at uh, CES, which is ongoing, a uh, couple, uh, couple of things uh, coming out of there. Um uh, this week um oop, let me skip back here we've got uh, dji d wow dji uh announces uh their fly cart 30 um cnet is calling it a beefcake of a drone that can fly <laughs> up to 10 miles with 66 pounds of cargo like solar panels or construction supplies um just right off the top i'm just looking at uh, images of this thing but it looks like a, a semi-modified DJI Agris uh, is what I'm seeing. And I'm sure it's using a very similar uh, tech to that because uh, the Agris is known to carry a significant amount of weight. Um, but uh, the Flycart 30, 66 pound, 30, uh, 30 kilogram payload capacity. The Chinese company announced a new model Wednesday in conjunction with CES 2024. Uh, for the, the low, low price of $42,000. $42,000, yeah. <laughs> but, however... I get nervous I flying say, a GoPro over a lake, let alone <laughs> something like right? that. Mm -hmm. So it comes with six battery packs. So I imagine the the price uh, of that is uh, significantly increased by having uh, six battery packs. I know, I believe the Agris, its battery packs run about uh, $2,500, I think, or something, something close to that. I might be off on that, but it is in the thousands of dollars. So, um, so the, uh, the uh, Flycart 30 um, is due to ship in the first quarter. Early customers are already using it in China to deliver solar panels in the mountains, carry tools and supplies to a remote construction site, and shuttle goods to boats on the Yangtze River, DJI said. Um, with that kind of price tag, you probably won't buy a Flycart to record your extreme sports exploits. Yeah, probably not. Um, I'd be a little concerned if you did. Um but it is emblematic of drones expanding uses. These unmanned aircraft first found a niche as cameras in the sky, but now they're increasingly used to move goods more efficiently than cars or other traditional modes of transportation. Um, and then uh, I didn't pull the article for this. We've talked about it a lot. Walmart is uh, expanding its area of operations uh, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so this will be interesting to see this in use. Um, but uh, let's see. Da, da, da. Fly, uh, Flycart 30 has radar and binocular vision for avoiding obstacles in rain or other difficult weather. I don't know if I'd fly. Uh, mm, that's a significant investment for difficult weather. <laughs> Dave's just shaking his head over here. I'm ADSB received. Sure Go ahead, Blunty. I'm, I was going to say, I think they have their own... Um like system that you get with this, like a computer program. I was reading another article and oh. it, it like does automation for you. Uh, yeah. And so I think kind of the goal of the, I don't know, to me, I think this is very interesting because it sort of allows like previously we were going like, okay, now wing has to subsidize out a set of drones in a box for a company and those will go on the side of the business and then they'll be operated out of the business. You know, it's like a attack mm -hmm. on by a third party model. And then you're trying to convince like Walmart to put them in all of its locations so that you kind of subsidize out in that direction. But if you just get like DJI mass producing a product that then you can purchase one, two, three, five, ten pieces of mm -hmm. and have insurance on and have customer support on and have software you don't have to make like 
I feel like it kind of changes the landscape a little. It may still not it make it viable, but I think it changes the cost to roll out, the risk, the different things that you could get as a company to do this delivery thing. You know? You're not wrong. It speeds up. Uh, if, if you're a company coming into this and you want to start delivering uh, decently sized packages, it definitely shortens development time to more uh, uh, purchase time, right? Do you have the funds to get going? And uh, yeah, I would I would totally agree. And if the software is similar to what I've seen on the Agris that allows uh, Waypoint and, and automation, um, setting up uh, not only uh, uh, flight times, flight uh, distance, uh, patterns, all those different things, but also spraying and whatnot, this definitely significantly decreases that. So um, even training time to train new people on the on the equipment is definitely there too. I mean that that lowers the bar a whole lot. So um, if you're familiar with DJI um, and their somewhat commercial line of products, then you're you're probably going to get spooled up fairly quickly. Yeah, so, I think you're on a good point. The the um, Swarm company UV Fly that I was talking about a couple of weeks ago uh, has has a similar model that if uh, they recommend you start with about twenty drones to get started and uh, they'll rent them to you and they'll rent uh, up, you know, a couple hundred uh, to a uh, to a company so they're ready to deploy and they can help you out with you know to whatever need you have people equipment and uh, software as well so yeah it's, you're on a good you're on a good point mm-hmm. I totally agree one of the uh, new things that's going to be on this one is uh uh, parachute in case of major problems uh 20 meter per second speed range of 10 miles so they i saw they also sell a winch system for it so you can replace the bottom uh with, with the winch a drop and do, and, and do drops yeah that's cool i dig that <clears throat> rob you got something if it could carry you and be a rescue for you that'd be cool <laughs> then you would use it for extreme sports there's alex welcome to the party pal Sorry, <laughs> you're good. You're fine. Rob, did you have something, bud? Yeah, I don't know if it's the same article. I'm, I'm just listening. Uh, but I, I saw a press release 75% of the Dallas conclusion of 2024. So if that's the case, that's going to be a massive, massive expansion. So I'm really curious how it's going to look like with all of our UTM initiatives up here uh, as far as the Earth. But yeah, it is. That, but. 75% of the metro is a very, very large area. Yeah, it definitely is. And uh, I know uh, uh, Walmart has partnered up with uh, Zipline and DroneUp and and uh, uh, Wing to, to make this happen. So uh, that'll definitely be interesting as it scales out. Uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area is not small. Um, it's, it's definitely a, a large place. So seeing that spooled out uh, will definitely be interesting. Yeah, well, Walmart um, allocated or got got an agreement from the FAA to have most of Arkansas uh, identified as a, a testing location for BV loss. So uh, it's uh, it's uh, never hurts to have uh, deep pockets to uh, to get a really amazing waiver. So I imagine the the waiver they've gotten in the uh, DFW area mm-hmm. is. Uh, more challenging given the uh, air air traffic uh, from the DFW area in comparison to uh, Bentonville. Mm-hmm. I'll be in Bentonville yeah. in April. Maybe I'll have to make a test there order from Walmart. There you go. <laughs> Stop by. Uh, I'll just point out that like DFW is like this expansion will do what Walmart has been promising for a while, which is they're trying to extend delivery bubbles from each Walmart location to 10 miles. Mm-hmm. And if they can hit that number, that means that if you look at their store locations, they can hit like 90% of the people and, you know, like in most rural areas. So like, uh, I, I don't know. I think that's pretty interesting, like based on how like kind of everything's laid out and how Walmart has a unique approach. So if this works and the money continues to work and they keep expanding this and like, I don't know, Walmart's not like VC, right? Like, I mean, there may be VC involved in the other tech parts of it, but. Like Walmart's just a big corporation trying to get on top of something they think is going to be a future technology. I think that's an interesting kind of aspect compared to some of the other people that are doing this. I believe, uh, you know, Walmart is the largest employer in the world uh, at this point, um, not only with their their actual employees, but also with uh, the um, 
vendors and suppliers and everything around the world that that literally cater to their stores i mean they they definitely have the the money to throw out a venture like this i mean so i mean if anybody's gonna do it i i would imagine it would be them <laughs> as frank purdue would say son we don't count our money we just weigh it <laughs> jesus <laughs> fair all right so uh, i was looking for articles on drone stuff that that's coming out of ces and and there hasn't been a whole lot but uh, uh we do have this thing um and i call it a thing because i'm a little scared of it uh just slightly um so uh xping arrow uh, hopefully i'm pronouncing that correctly uh, has come out with a supercar that doubles as a flying car. It's an um, electric vertical takeoff and landing flying car is designed to allow for, quote, effortless navigation through congested areas and obstacles when conditions permit. They should be using so, folding uh, props on that instead, so when you're driving fast, they fold back. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, so, the motors are going to want to spin in the wind. And so, I believe it actually transforms. So the motors actually fold in. Oh, uh, get out of the way! They fold into this canopy that's at the top. Um, so the arms all fold in. Uh, it actually transforms to uh, be able to do this. But uh, X being Arrow, which uh, claims to be the largest flying car company in Asia says its flying car addresses the demand for short-distance, low-altitude travel. I want to see where that demand is. <laughs> just curious. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, speaking of low, well, the propellers don't sit much higher. Car. I mean, I wouldn't either, but here's the here's the problem. is It's a, it's a low-to-the-ground supercar with propellers at uh, pretty much head height. Just going to toss <laughs> that out there. <laughs> Honey, I forgot my coffee. Would you go get my coffee from the house? <laughs> it's just like, wait, what? Um, so, yeah, they say uh, you definitely don't want to have a passenger hop in after the thing starts spinning. <laughs> I'd be hyper concerned. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, very interesting. We're just going to leave that there. All right. Um We've got a uh, new Kentucky drone law. Um, so we've got a new uh, privacy law. Could be devastating for commercial drones. This is coming from Drone Life. Um, Kentucky's House Bill 45 is being touted as a privacy bill and addresses a whole wide range of dystopian future scenarios, including microchipping people without their permission, disseminating deep fakes, uh, and installing tracking devices on humans or property. The sections on drone use, however, could have a negative impact on drone use in the state. <clears throat> Overall, this section of House Bill 45 pertaining to drones aims to regulate the use of unmanned aircraft systems equipped with imaging devices to protect privacy rights while providing specific exceptions for legitimate purposes. Essentially, the bill prohibits the use of drones for surveillance, while permitting the use of drones for legitimate commercial concerns. In summary, HB 45 prohibits the use of unmanned aircraft systems for surveillance without written consent on privately owned real property. Presumes a reasonable expectation of privacy if the person is not observable from ground level, ground level in a place where others have a legal right to be. The exceptions uh, are permits the use of unmanned aircraft systems in specific circumstances such as countering a terrorist attack with a search warrant or to prevent imminent danger or damage to property and allow certain exceptions for licensed businesses, property, appraisers, utility operations, environmental monitoring, aerial mapping, cargo delivery, and for the safe operations of unmanned aircraft systems. So it's a little broad on both. Um, I haven't actually read the whole thing. I'm just going off of this. But, uh, um, I mean, if you're just out flying, you have a camera on your drone, what's to say somebody's saying, oh, he was conducting surveillance on me, right? When you're just actually out flying FPV, having a good time. So, 
Um, and then the safe operation of unmanned aircraft systems. Again, that, that's fairly vague um, to be an exception. I'm curious what the definition of that is. So I'll have to dig in a little bit on this and see what's going on there. But uh, civil action allows the owner, tenant, occupant, invitee, or licensee of privately owned real estate property to initiate a civil action against any person or agency violating the regulations. So uh, definitely, <clears throat> yeah, Alex says, how do I prove I don't care about someone enough to spy on them? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh yeah i mean for me that's most people i, I just don't care <laughs> so yeah it's definitely interesting it'll be uh it, it it'll be uh it'll be interesting to see where this rolls out and shakes out um on if this passes um you know i mean i sure wouldn't like to be microchipped you know without my permission so i mean <laughs> but at the same time like what <laughs> so all right uh, i got two more um oh, there's a whole lot of videos playing in this one sorry uh this comes from uh wapo the washington post um so domestic drone makers are bullish on sales after u.s sets new curbs on foreign vendors uh, small uh, U.S. small drone makers are optimistic about their sales process pr prospects after the annual defense policy bill, which passed last month, included curves on the federal government purchasing foreign drones. Well, if you can't make a drone better than DJI, then you make the laws such that you can't buy DJI, right? <laughs> uh, apparently, uh, that's kind of where we're at at the moment, I feel. Um, we think the total addressable market now for us, after last week, has gone up at least four times, said Jeff Thompson, founder and CEO of the Utah-based drone maker Redcat. I guess Redcat moved to Utah. Uh, news to me. I, I yeah, thought they I thought were they out were, of Puerto Rico yeah, last Puerto time. Rico. <laughs> but uh, um, the National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal 2024 includes the American Security Drone Act, which prohibits the government from using federal funds to purchase drones made in China or certain other countries starting December 2025 with the measure in force through December 2028. So it does have an expiration date. Um, it also prohibits federal agencies from operating Chinese drones for that dura duration unless they have an exemption. It follows similar legislation in Florida against state agencies using foreign made drones, which took effect last year. Rob, you got something, buddy? Yeah, I was just going to add to that exactly what you said. Uh, there, there's an exemption process in place. So you're so concerned about these, uh, you know, uh, allegations with the security threats, but they also allow exceptions. So um, you know, I find it kind of contradictory. Do you know uh, what know? those exceptions are? Yes. I was, I was told there will be a waiver process uh, that you can go through and you, know, you can still use um, the, the non-U.S.-based equipment i don't know what that's going to look like yet though i haven't completely dove into that portion of the act yet uh i know greg riverdale did a uh, he did a little highlight on it a few days ago okay i sent so, a link uh i sent a link in our our little chat here uh that there's a uh, write-up that i found by this aviation consulting company that essentially is a list of loopholes and ways you can get around the asda uh and ways that basically they've built in ways to get around the ASDA. So interesting. So if they make a lot of exceptions, or if there's a lot of easy ways to get around this, then the whole thing is just for show, right? Like, look, hey, we uh, banned these drones, but secretly behind the scenes, everybody can still use them. Yeah, they have things like covered foreign entity, even though covered entity would typically be United States. You know, so there's ways to. Like maneuver all this. There's a bunch of exemptions and things that are listed here. So I think this is a really good summary if you're kind of curious about diving into it. Yeah, for sure. So I've got uh, um, right here, we've got the exemptions pulled up. So secretaries of uh, DHS, DOD, uh, DOS, and the Attorney General, which is the DOJ. Um, let's see if the following applies for the procurement or operation is required in the national interest. And for research, I'm assuming this is research, development, training, and education. 
uh, or analysis for electronic warfare, information warfare, cybersecurity, or development of UAS or counter UAS technology. So you can buy one if your plans are to shoot it out of the sky. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think Blunty was just Pretty about much. to say that. <laughs> gonna, oh my gosh. Yeah. Let's see. They would have DOT. Kind of let's see. If you're the DOT, which is the Department of Transportation, the FAA, if deemed to support the safe, secure, or efficient operation of the national airspace system, includes activity under the FAA's Alliance for System Safety of UAS through research excellence, which is assure. Um, the NTSB, in consultation with the Secretary of Homeland Security, um, and for the sole purpose of conducting safety investigations. And NOO, sorry, NOAA, which is the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, uh, you have to consult with the Secretary of Homeland Security and it is necessary to meet uh, NOAA's uh, science and management objectives or operational mission. Uh, doesn't look like, at least in that one, well, we have... Uh, yeah, so this would kind of fall under that, uh, Alex. Alex asked, uh, Department of the Interior, so wildlife management operations, uh, search and rescue, intelligence activities, tribal law enforcement. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really great question, Alex. They had one, a, a fleet of something like uh, 1,500, 1,800 drones that were all grounded when this uh, and the initial bans came out. So, yeah, great, great point. Yeah, the way they literally, the way this document says it is following activities, uh, search and rescue, the full range of operations in consultation with Secretary of Homeland Security. So basically, as long as you're correlating with DHS, then you can just use them no matter what, you know. Absolutely. I, I think human lives are definitely more important than any kind of uh, issue with uh, origin it, of these things. It's true. It's also just dumb that like this undermines half of the point of the you know like if there was some point here it's undermined right like slightly yeah uh, yeah <laughs> so i'll have to read through this this is definitely good information go ahead rob yeah thanks for sharing that one i'm, I'm going to jump into that too when I'm stationary uh another thing too and i may have mentioned this to y'all in the past there's a there is a u.s-based company that's looking at rewriting um essentially taking to so you know how you can have uh, you can run Android on multiple platforms. They're looking at writing a software that can run on the DJI aircraft that uses the DJI hardware but uses our proprietary software. So if that's able to take off, I think that'll be a huge win because it would be no different than Windows being able to run on you know a whole variety of brands of PCs or no different than right. like I mentioned Android. So we're we're really excited about that. I think that that's got a lot of promising potential to hopefully alleviate some of these concerns. Absolutely. So that's an that's an interesting uh, proposition. In um, in mainframe world, uh, various companies tried that, and it uh, takes you about a week to issue new firmware uh, to alter your hardware underneath the operating system, so that uh, the reverse engineered software doesn't run anymore. So uh, depending on how uh, what level of hard hardball DJI wants to play, they could they could prevent that. Uh, that software from functioning uh, pretty easily. Yeah, it's like the cat and mouse game of uh, rooting your iPhone or something. If somebody finds yep. an exploit, finds a way in, the Apple blocks it, and you're back and forth, yeah. back and forth. Right. Yeah, that happens in the video game community too. Uh, especially uh, Nintendo is is and Sony are both really strong on that. They people find a loophole and 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 then they patch it. So. Yeah, and like uh, Meat saying in in the YouTube chat that it that doesn't necessarily block like some of the back doors if if they're really concerned about the drone spying and doing things if it's deep enough in the firmware it'd still be able to yeah. do that whether or not you replace the main operating system yep. of the drone. Yep. Yeah. If it's in Good the point. kernel, it's still going right. So, but uh, all right, uh, definitely uh, worth a read. Um, for this, uh, is there a way that we can drop this in the YouTube chat, Dan? A link to this? Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, let me see. Grab it out of here from Blunty. Copy the link. Go over to this window and paste it. And then everybody in the YouTube chat has it. Boom. Thank, there we go. Thank you, thank you Dan. <laughs> Appreciate that. 
All right. So um, FAA-backed project trial cybersecurity system for uncrewed traffic management. So um, just in case anybody were was under the impression that UTM is uh, not going to happen, uh, it just keeps pushing forward. So I don't know if there were those out there, but, uh, you know, there was hopes, right? So... Um, America's air traffic control system is experiencing a prolonged shortage, one that may be addressed by the pending House FAA reauthorization bill. But that legislation may also throw a new tra air traffic-related curveball at regulators. The House bill includes several bleh, provisions intended to prop up the growing drone or uncrewed aircraft systems uh, industry by pushing for greater permissions for beyond visual line of sight flights the problem however is that if eyes aren't the drones something else will need to monitor them enter uncrewed traffic management essentially an air traffic control system for uas the highly automated software-based technology is still under development and vulnerable to cyber attacks but that's where a company such as unifly comes in uh, the belgium firm this month conducted faa approved trials of its unified utm cybersecurity model a project that aims to create industry-wide requirements and a unified certification pathway for similar systems. Um, so let's see, as drone use continues to rise, it's vital to develop uh, specific cybersecurity measures for UTM to ensure airspace safety and security. Uh, we take pride in our key role in this initiative as well. We're just gonna throw this out here, guys. You're working with the FAA. Um, they didn't do any encryption on remote ID. Why would they do it for UTM? Well, not only that, but, you know, we had uh, a decades old coding problem that shut down the traffic control system. What, about a year ago at this point? <laughs> I mean, mm, yeah, OK, just be careful. Uh, the FAA back project has implications not just for the broader UTM industry, but drone operators, regulators, the general public and pilots. Um, just as ATC is essential for commercial and general aviation, so too will UTM be for drones. Um, for the safety of those on the ground and other aircraft in the sky, operators will need to know where their drones are at all times. Hence the implementation of provisions such as the FAA's remote ID rule. If they don't, the buzzing aircraft can force entire airports to shut down. Oh, we're, we're going to Heathrow here. Okay, cool. Um, anyway. So my question to y'all is, so we've got remote ID. We know remote ID was the beginning of a, of a slippery slope, so to say. Um, if everybody wants to know where the drones are so that they can then continue to fly their drones and planes and helicopters and all the fun things, um, is uh, the current system of remote ID going to do that job? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's not head. what it was designed for. There's, no. there's like a fundamental problem with the concept. Is that like there's not internet everywhere? We can't mm -hmm. broadcast ADSB. What is the plan? What is the actual plan for getting your drone out in the middle of nowhere to communicate and know where it's at on a UTM map? Well, right. the only solution I have for that is everybody's going to have to have a Starlink subscription. Like, <laughs> like well, there's a. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't it's good that you said that's, that. that's a good. That's a good uh, segue, uh, yeah. Blunty. The uh, ASTM Remote ID Working Group, chaired by Gabriel Cox, is uh, starting back up, and uh, uh -oh. and so I'm not. Uh, uh, there have been a number of requests for updates, and I have a sneaky, I don't know for sure, but I will find out within a couple weeks whether network remote ID will be front and center. It wouldn't surprise yeah. any of us be, in as much as it's mentioned no fewer than five times in the in, uh, erstwhile FAA uh, Reauthorization Act of like, 2020X. Totally, I totally get the idea of network remote ID. <laughs> I mean, we all know the problems and the issues, but like... At the end of the day, like that still doesn't achieve ADSB tells you when somebody's near you, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's the idea, right? But that's a, a, a drone can't do that if it's trying to talk to the internet that doesn't exist out in the middle of nowhere. Well, so there's no, if, there's if no every, backup. If everything's right? flying like, slow enough, you could use remote ID. You could receive remote ID on one drone from another one somewhat nearby, and it's got the GPS coordinates from a second ago in it. So you roughly know where it is, but. 
that it, doesn't it work. It just very feels well. like we're we're concept we're missing a concept and everything's just rolling forward and it's like, all right, well, we'll figure it out. Well, I <laughs> everything mean everything will work out, right? Yeah. It it's it seems a little awkward unless along with uh remote ID comes like data relay, you know, capabilities requirements well, and drones, right? So a bunch so, of nodes on the ground. So the problem is I expect what's going to happen is we'll get a new version of ADSB that is not Bluetooth or Wi-Fi direct. And that's my fear, is it will be forced into some system because everybody will figure out that there's I no way to do this for drone. if you're out in the middle of nowhere, right? It's impossible right. if you don't have internet and you don't have something that can talk farther than Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. Like a 500-mile-an-hour plane, it doesn't work. Like, I, I just, it's extremely frustrating because, like, we're living in some interim world where we've got a fake remote ID solution that doesn't work because it couldn't make the real one that they wanted work in. All right. Anyway, you, you guys all know the problem. <laughs> yes, there's it's, lots of problems. It's just like it's every time we talk about this, it's so frustrating to think through it. It's because nobody thinks through it. It's like, or we, everybody thinks through it, but nobody stops the process, right? So yeah. Well, right. Lundy, you could be my uh, attend as my guest in the ASTM Remote <laughs> ID Working Group. We usually have the FAA uh, sit in as a as a guest. Sure. I don't want to get us kicked out. <laughs> you have to be an anonymous guest. You weren't brought here by anyone Just, in particular. Yeah. 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 I think you and I are on the same explore. boat here, Blunty. <laughs> who, is, I mean, who is that masked man? <laughs> Go ahead, Rob. Touching up on what you said, Blunty, like fundamentally, I wish that they would have designed this based on the UAS facility map. And if they just lowered our altitudes by 100 feet and they use that top sector, you know, like say we flew up to 300 feet in classical airspace, three to 400 is the commercial space. They can figure out their own way to deconflict. You know, they can use whatever network software, proprietary RID, radar, whatever they choose to do and let the rec guys, you know, continue operating at the over 300. I think that would have been a better integration. Yeah, we had so, we, we tried something very much like that, Rob, in the Beyond Visual Line of Sight uh, Aviation Rulemaking Committee, where we used 500 as the ceiling. So 500 to 400 uh, was considered a uh, uh, no-go zone. No zone. And then uh, UAS operating under 400 and uh, crewed or manned aircraft operating 500 above. And that was um, uh, destroyed by mostly the helicopter community that uh, maintained that uh, most of their 16,000 approximately total helicopters in the United States operate uh, regularly below 400 feet and uh, off of uh, airports. Yeah, I think I like I fundamentally agree with Rob's idea, but I think the problem is that like, you know, we just had a news. I don't know if we'll cover it, but like I there was just it. a crash. There was a crash in Daytona at 100. What was that, 180 feet? Right. Yeah. And that, that was going to be my question. What are you doing? At yeah, 180 was, feet, bro. Yeah. Uh, and it was a touring helicopter. helicopter giving tours of the area. They couldn't decide if it was on tour or not. I still haven't seen if it was actually on a tour or if it was just in the area. But like, yeah, I think man. the problem is like, fundamentally, we could set rules like that, but we're just going to have to deal with takeoff landing and, and elevation concerns when they delete it and say you have to, you know, we're going to change the elevation here anyway, because who cares? Like, I, I think it's extremely difficult to, to fight against that. And that's why, like, yeah, I, I think the demarcation makes sense. But, like, in practice, you're going to have so many violations of the demarcation that you end up not actually having it, right? Like, that's what it feels like. Anyway. Yeah, and I think yeah, the, the, the violations the... would be not from the drone community, but from the manned aviation. Yeah, one of the right? provisos uh, we laid in in the BB Loss Arc was to uh, stipulate that uh, any um, – crewed helicopter crewed aircraft operating under 500 feet had to have adsb out so that the uas could sense it and if they decided not to then uh, right of way was the responsibility of the crewed aircraft and once again the, uh, the helicopter community went out of their minds on that one yeah god forbid that they make make way for for and they're not uh, equipped correctly, right? So, right. And as Alex points out, there's way more drones in, in the air than helicopters. There are, yeah. 16,000 16, is not a made-up number. That's the that's the correct uh, fleet number in the United States, total number of helicopters. I think I have that many just right there. 
I'm not trying. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't put it past. I say, I think, I think about one percent of the helicopter community flies <laughs> over my house. So. <laughs> That's awesome. So and, yeah, and there was a search, search lights. No, yeah, luckily no. The answer is no. <laughs> I live next to, if you know Fort Rucker in Alabama, I live next to a big helicopter like training thing. So that's awesome. I mean, depending if you like the noise, I guess. If you like helicopters flying over your house at like 120 feet doing training exercises at 1 a.m. I mean, awesome. I get it all the time too. Except uh, for us, it's the it's the police helicopter. So uh, yeah. you know, there's a little bit of that. And then uh, the other one we get is we get the Apaches flying from. Where they uh, like assemble them to where they store them, kind of thing. Is there... So that's always fun. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, to Blunty's point, there was a uh, commercial helicopter uh, and a drone. Uh, it was not a recreational operator. It was, uh, I believe, it was uh, someone who uh, was flying for construction. They were doing uh, some type of construction uh oriented uh drone uh flying so uh the drone pilot was flying at an altitude of 180 feet and recording video for a construction company in the area at the time of the crash he was looking down at his tablet when he heard a loud impact and noticed his drone was no longer in the air yeah that's always uh unfortunate boy depending on that video you'd have some a good youtube video there for from the perspective of the drone <laughs> <coughs> oh geez so uh there was uh the helicopter pilot part of leading edge helicopter tours a tour company told well with a name like helicopter tours i hope it's a tour company uh that he spotted the drone hovering through his windshield but was unable to avoid it um he was able to land safely the helicopter's rotor blade was damaged which was estimated to cost at least sixty thousand dollars it was not immediately clear if the helicopter company was on active tour at the time of the collision, nor if anyone else was aboard the aircraft besides the pilot. Um, both the FAA and NTSB were notified of the collision. Uh, three people were on board the helicopter. It was a uh, returned to the airport and landed safely. Um, it was also not immediately apparent if any possible charges or citations could be filed as a result of the collision. Yeah, I mean, that would be a tough one, right? I mean, it depends on what the drone operator was doing, where he was flying, if he had, you know, uh, if it was uh, in uh, controlled airspace, if he did his own oh, controlled yeah, airspace. Him, I believe, I believe he was a zero from... grid, too. And they could oh, was from... a zero grid? Yeah, but he had authorization. Okay. They could so... get him for failure to yield. Yeah. Yep. He's, he's the one. Yeah, I think that's the, the, the primary thing is no matter what. He's got to yield, so they're yep. going to nail him on the failure to yield. Right. Um, I think this is a tough one because, like, 180 is not that high. So, like, no. it, it feels like if you had a spotter slash we're not staring at your tablet, you, you might have known a helicopter was coming, you know, like, if you were following the procedure. So, like, And if the know. helicopter was squawking ADSB, and the guy did have uh, a Mavic, so it probably has ADSB uh, in, in. So right. if the guy was squawking, he could, you know, you'd see it and hear it. So I yeah. heard that he he was ignoring those because he was at the airport because, oh. well, because he was getting so oh. many of them that it was kind of irrelevant. Sure, it was overwhelming sure. with it, so it kind of blurred how how helpful it was. Well, I'm just I'm just I'm just theorizing here, but if you're flying near the airport, you're getting a lot of that kind of traffic. You're ignoring them. You probably want to have a friend. Maybe. Yeah, it's like you're ignoring them because it's a high chance for something to happen, not because it's fake and they're not real. You know what I mean? Like, mm. yeah. But on the positive side, a drone hit a helicopter and the helicopter landed and no one died. It didn't just, it didn't erupt into flames. Yeah, this is probably one of the smallest helicopters. This is sort of one of those, I guess you could say, those worst yeah. case scenarios everybody talks about. And that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hit, hit the rotor to... blades. Yeah. And, yeah, and it didn't come out of the sky. That's all good. That is very, very good. Yeah, I tried to pull, like, the NTSB sometimes does a preliminary report on these, but they did not, they said specifically they're not going to fly. Don't they have it? Isn't that, like, they have to put that in within two weeks, or is that a, a month? Uh, 
that they, they put said it they're out not preliminary. Yeah, they said they're not going to do a preliminary. They put out a, like a statement that was like this this file will not have a preliminary report. Oh, you'll oh. see it in the final report. Yeah. Interesting. Maybe they just wanted to avoid the news cycle then with their preliminary yeah. report because of some <laughs> means. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's the here's the thing, guys. Is is it happened? Um, it's unfortunate. I question the 180 foot altitude of a helicopter. I mean, if it was coming in for a landing, sure, get that, understand that. But um, at the same time, I also question, uh, you know, what actually happened. And uh, I guess we'll find out when they file their final report. But number one, nobody uh, was injured. Nobody died. Uh, helicopter did not fall from the sky. Um, and uh, looks like, I mean, I, I'm going to say relatively minimal damage. Um and which is pretty much uh, what we've been really theorizing for a long time. Um, and I, think this is still, uh, I will say on the NTSB thing, the only thing that I saw listed was excessive damage or something. Like, I guess because of the way uh, crashes are monetary or, or accidents work. Yeah, I think maybe it's just because they have to replace the whole rotor or something. It's considered. But it was like it was like way. I don't know. It was described in some way like that, like excessive damage or intense damage or something like that. That's yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's still a major expense for the helicopter. But oh, I, I, I like CB Runner's comment in YouTube. He's, if this had been in a Michael Bay movie, most of the east coast of Florida would still be on fire. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Thank you, CB Runner. That That's epic. Uh, love it, love it, love it. Yeah, it would be, yeah. And there'd be transformers coming out of the ground too. So Sorry. you know, <laughs> I found it. Sub substantial was the term. Oh, okay, substantial. Okay. Well, at least it's not extreme. <laughs> well, I think the NTSB also considers a, one of uh, my quad propellers breaking substantial too. Yeah, you're probably right. That's that. true. Yeah, I imagine yeah, it's the only rotor on the aircraft, right? Yeah. Oh goodness. Based, based right. on the, to on the total uh, another... cost of the unit. Another thing to add to that, I believe that only bumps the number of confirmed collisions in the U.S. between aircraft to either as yeah seven or eight. It might be number seven or eight. Yeah, or I think it might be number eight. But since yeah, so, uh, 20, 2015, I'm pretty sure. I think it goes back probably. That far. I don't know. Yeah, first. And just I imagine, think the first one I remember is the uh, Black Hawk incident in New York. Yep. yep. Just imagine if we had a UTM preventing all these accidents. I'm here Excellent. to pronounce Excellent. that Starlink will be available on every drone ever made. Oh, jeez. All right. I got a couple things, Josh. Yeah, what you got, brother? Uh, first, some, some good news. Um, when we released and when the uh, our colleagues, uh, CB Runner and his uh, uh, partner, uh, released uh, their MRID, uh, ran, it ran return to home with Betaflight, and uh, uh, Betaflight made some uh, some updates, and then it didn't. And so um, they, along with uh, the uh, flight test slash tritium team, been working with Betaflight uh, folks. And so if you uh, use either of those two uh, remote ID broadcast modules, the MRID or the flight test easy ID, uh, you have to use at least beta flight 4.5 release candidate 2. And my thanks once again to the uh, beta flight team uh, for jump the dev team for jumping on this, uh, getting a fix, uh, figuring it out. Maybe you can mention uh, Yes, Steve yes, it Evans. was working. He's, he's in the yeah. YouTube chat watching us right now, even though it is oh. extremely late in uh, wherever he is. In oh the my UK gosh. Right it now. is it is quarter to four in the morning. My goodness. Steve, <laughs> you're the man. We thank you so much. We and we usually don't uh for your own uh, uh privacy, we did do not mention names, but you're you're here. Thank you so much. It's uh, greatly appreciated uh, by uh, I know uh, by CBR runner uh, Brian and Ken, as well as the uh, the flight test team. Uh, we were uh, high fiving uh, each other uh, today. Uh, really very uh, grateful uh, that uh, we can get that working again, and uh, uh, that's a night. That's a function that uh, we are uh, answering questions about, and folks are interested in. 
for using a broadcast module so that it can, they can add return to home and, and other functions uh, using a GPS when they, they are being good, good soldiers and complying. And the benefit is we're trying to provide a little more value uh, while they have a GPS on their aircraft. And Absolutely. Did you say that running that's... the GPS? You might as well, if you're required to have it, right? Yeah. You might as well make use of it. And that there's currently a bug, right? And it's in the next, well, in a current release candidate for Beta Flight 4.5 that there's a fix for it. So hopefully in the final release of the next version of Beta Flight, there'll be a fix to make the return to home work on those remote ID modules. Right. So if you want to test uh, your uh, either FT Easy ID or MRID with Betaflight for return to home, you have to use at least uh, uh, 4.5 release candidate two. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you, Betaflight team. That's awesome. That's, yes. that's super cool to be able to help the community like that. Really appreciate it. Uh, then uh, two quick items. So our drone advisory council is getting uh, together tomorrow. And uh, so that uh, work is uh, progressing. And as we have uh, documentation that uh, uh, we will likely be uh, working with uh, the FAA, potentially with Congress. Uh, we'll uh, uh, we'll make sure that that's uh, uh, up and visible uh, to this team. Uh, our uh, objective is to be very transparent, and uh, so the documents are coming along nicely. In addition, I did mention the AS, uh, ASTM Remote ID Working Group is getting back together. Uh, we're uh, privileged to be part of the 138 members. And so it's a who's who of uh, drone as well as uh, full scale, uh, not full scale, fixed wing uh, aircraft uh, manufacturers, um, phone companies. Uh, if you're interested in remote ID for any reason, uh, there's representation there and tons of uh, brilliant engineers. Great group and a great group of people that are largely volunteering their time to put together, what was it, close on to five, 600 pages of, uh, of spec to uh, provide the uh, means of compliance for remote ID. So we're off to another one. And it only took us five years, I think, to do the first one. <laughs> <laughs> way it goes okay i think that's uh i think josh that's all i had all right alex you got anything uh yeah there's a story i found or i saw about um talking about five years after gatwick and uh jeez oh, five years after what oh, nothing geez. happened at gatwick oh that's exactly what the story was about <laughs> Oh, so, my goodness. Uh, the truth about the Gatwick drone incident. Basically, so this, it starts is, off... this is not the this is not the sun or a tabloid in uh, the British press, right? Now this is spiked. Oh, oh, that was only five years ago. Yikes. God, <laughs> yeah. it doesn't feel like it was that long. Yeah. <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> uh, FPVFC was just getting going. <laughs> Jesus. I know. Talks about uh, the incident, and we all know what that was. That the airport was shut down for a, a rogue drone that didn't exist. Uh, talked about talks about how they arrested the people who on, their only hint of why they were arrested was because they flew model airplanes. And uh, then uh, talks about how after some of the mistakes of not trusting the equipment that said that there weren't any drones, and people saying, "But the equipment's faulty." Uh, for why they continue to keep the airport shut down. And then in the end concludes that basically uh, new drone laws were added for no reason because kid well, can't buy we'll a 15-pound toy helicopter in uh, their backyard. And not 15 pounds as airport. in weight, but 15 as in the, the amount, as of, as amount of money. Quid. <laughs> uh, and then uh, eventually comes to say that they're was no drone at all. Um, Good grief. So all that. Basically a five-year update after countless countless efforts of trying to get the information and uh, then finding out that it was really uh, nothing. Can we forward well, that can... to all legislators and regulators around the world? I was about to say. I, I mean, to I was you. Gonna, <laughs> I was going to say, uh, UK, um, I'm sorry that happened to you. We are familiar with uh, regulation for no reason. I, I just, I mean, we're just saying. So, uh, 
<clears throat> then another update that I had was the FAA finally or got around to publishing their FRIA data. Ah, you stole my, so, my idea. Uh, Steve Evans oh. is asking, whose conclusion was that in that article? Um, I think the authors in general, because the police still say that it wasn't, police still stand behind that it was an active incident. One time. So this is uh, the FAA's uh, FRIA map, hey? Well, it's the FAA USAS Data Delivery Service. Their facilities map, which shows the airports and airspace and all that stuff. Has everything you need. Uh, And you can zoom in to see all the different FRIAs. You can select them, see where they are, what they are called, the address, that kind of information. What CBO is behind it. Correct. Well, it hasn't it hasn't crashed it hasn't crashed yet usually when i zoom in this uh this application <laughs> crashes here this is great in all the way nice i, I still like your your free map better alex oh. <laughs> because of that i and then since the fa publishes their data i can download it and i can add it to nice. my map or here we go so i updated my map where you can see the different where it's color coordinated with the different types. So you have purple for EDU, blue for AMA, r- red for STEM plus C, green for FPVFC, and uh, orange for flight test. Nice. Uh, I know that's not super a, useful to a lot of people, but that looks so much better for us to just at a quick glance see, oh, yeah, purple. That's a, that's probably a college or university that has a free for yep, that location. Correct. And then this way, you can actually see what's inside from the satellite view instead of some weird view because it's easier to tell where you're flying. I'm really shocked at a lot of these at how many buildings and structures and parking lots are in them when I submitted a free application and couldn't have that information or that. And that's why I specifically went to this free. Because I knew that that was something that when we were looking at it, that's like this would never have got approved for us. That was an immediate denial. Like the what the whole heck? parking lot, the whole campus basically is inside yeah, this free. But yeah. only half of the baseball field. Yeah. Like <laughs> the only like if we were to apply, we'd only get that. That's right. Right. But the school applied and somehow got all of that, which That's I'm very confused about. So some new I'm, guy on a Friday, you know, right. approved. Trying, trying to do it, yeah. But that's like, not the only one. There's a AMA lot like one. that. No buildings, no nothing inside of it. All right. No roads, Wait, let, no let, buildings. Let me zoom to the no. one that Dan talked about uh, not getting. Uh, is it the northern yep, one or uh, the southern one? The southern one. Southern one? Yep. So this one here, because it went over that parking lot a little bit, it was denied. <laughs> yeah, like, but, why couldn't I just uh, make that, other one? that whole block, that whole square, everything? Yeah, like, if, but if we just did that, we would have got approved, right? I guess they must have had good justification somehow, but I don't know how they got yeah. it. I'm with Blunty. Friday afternoon. It's week four, uh, and we had the, the meeting on, on day seven, but we didn't have the meeting that we had on day 11. So there was a gap where five Frias got through because they had... <laughs> dude, that's the kind of BS that happens when you have a team of 20 people doing the same thing and no plan. Well, here's, oh. the, here's the flip side to that. Now there's <laughs> precedent set that you can have buildings and parking lots inside right. your Fria. So... Utilize that to the best of your ability, folks. Yep. I've started to document different FRIAs that I've found that are irregular. So, like, here's another one of this high school where it has the whole thing in it. And it tends to be the EDU FRIAs that have everything in it. Interesting. I mean, what we're saying here is, like, that's great and we're happy. It's just a bummer that we didn't get that. And it's a and it's Correct. annoying We're that jealous. they restrict it based and on we, that criteria in some cases and, we, and not others. And we had conversations with the FAA individuals approving the free is saying, oh, no, if there is a building or a road, you can't have that inside the free. You have to have only the area where you're flying over. No structures, no chance of people being there, no roads. Yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Have, like, these weird shapes. Those two right next to each other. tiny. And well, I thought you couldn't, couldn't have two Frias right next to each other as well. They couldn't figure out what a, a polygon was, so that was the. Uh... <laughs> I, 
I, I'm guessing that they just saw, oh, that's the minimum we can enter. We'll just do that. Right. <laughs> but like, how does that get approved? Especially when they already have one right there. Um, so I'm gonna ask the I'm gonna ask the question here to to y'all. So who's gonna be the person that says you're not specifically in that triangle, sir? <laughs> I was gonna say, oh. yeah. Let me My get local... out the let me get out the yardstick. Let me get out the let me walk it out. My local <laughs> club. This is our that's our pit area where the where we stand. That's a frame boundary. Yeah, cool. Well done. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right uh good good work on the free map alex absolutely. really appreciated all right and how can people find that article? again do you want me to present yeah. this for you yeah, alex, yeah if you want to pull that? it up real quick yeah before plenty starts what's your url on you on your free map just free map.com okay Yay, super pretty simple, simple. it'll Pardon be up for at least the next year ish well at <laughs> least until december until you your next. renewal comes in. Exactly. No problem. So I, I suspect this is a symptom of Chinese uh, rules and making it easier to get things off the ground or do things that you couldn't do in the U.S. But we've long seen a push for AAM. We're seeing eVTOL pushes for like uh, manned aircraft where we've got a, like a pilot and like five people that they're flying around or two people or whatever, sort of like a helicopter transportation or whatever or small buses with with rotors on them right we've seen that sort of roll out over the over the different companies boeing has a plan and everything i thought this is interesting because no none of these companies have been brave enough to do anything autonomous yet and not only did that happen but they took around uh multiple people like city officials uh private citizens whoever was showing up for this meeting they were like yeah hop in and take a tour around the park uh, around the area and just hop in it's all automated already like, I don't know. I think that's really ballsy. I think it's really cool that they did it. And I think it's also super scary uh, when one of these <laughs> things is going to inevitably crash. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, this has got to oh. be uh, a slap in the face of uh, administrate, administ our new administrator of the FAA who came from Archer Aviation and uh, was mm -hmm. signed in. I mean, granted, he's not been there a long time, but uh, this has got to, you know, this is uh, our Sputnik of this era. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'm with Blunty on this. It's like, you know, <clears throat> I think uh, multi-rotors are a great technology. Do I think they're uh, fantastic people carrying technology? I'm on the fence about that. But especially uh, right now with low testing and no proven track record and like there's a lot of pieces, right, that like. I'd ride in one with a parachute that I know three motors can sail on that I have a pilot and a stick in. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> there's a lot of caveats I need that I don't know that exist here. So uh, maybe I'm just a little, uh, you know, I've been bit uh, a couple of times, but I'm more worried about the rotors. Like, I just, mm. <laughs> I'm just well, there are no there are no doors that can uh, that can fall off the side of it, are there? Oh, oh. Too, too soon. <laughs> well, we don't know. A door could still fall off. True enough. <laughs> I'm assuming that's how they would get in. That's it. Oh, geez. Oh, geez. Boeing and their Max. Uh, yeah, it just, uh, I don't get it. Anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I'm definitely with you, Blunty. I'd be a little, probably a little gun shy on these at this point. Alex is volunteering, though. He volunteers his tribute. Um, well, there's a lot of why nots, but, uh, I mean, you're still young, so maybe you're still invincible, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely ballsy. I'm with you on that Blunty. So, but, and that's the thing though, is, is, uh, you know, countries like China, they're, they're uh, I mean, they're about innovating and, and moving forward and, and we're stuck, uh, locked up in regulation and red tape to get this stuff moving. And, I think that's a lot of what uh, the industry is upset about when it comes to uh, beyond visual line of sight and a lot of the regulations that are preventing people from moving forward with the technology. And uh, so hopefully we'll see that change uh, with this next reauthorization a little bit. So, all right. Uh, see, Dan, have we hit you yet? What you got? Uh, the only thing I had, uh, Alex already stole it, was the UAS facilities map having free as, and that Alex's map is still easier and better to use. There you go. I agree. All right, Rob, you got anything for us, brother? 
No, sir. All right. Sounds like somebody's home. All right. Glad you got home safe. Dave, uh, anything to wrap us up tonight? Um, no, just uh, keeping busy uh, at, uh, at flight test. This is a good assignment. And uh, it's, uh, it's fun to be unretired for a little bit. <laughs> Hopefully your wife agrees. <laughs> well, for the Depends moment. how long a little bit is. Right, exactly. Right. Exactly. As long as the mowing gets done, right? That's so true. <laughs> so true. We have our priorities. All right, guys. Uh, thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, again, hope you had a wonderful holidays. Uh, looking forward to uh, a great new year. Uh, and uh, whatever's to come, we'll be here with you and to uh, uh, let you know what's going on in the uh, in the regulatory space and, and around the country. So um, we'll hit you guys back up in another two weeks. And uh, if you have anything in the meantime, feel free to reach out to us on our Discord, Facebook, or anything like that. So uh, appreciate you guys being here. Love the comments tonight. You guys are awesome. And uh, definitely a great show to start us off for the new year. So thank you. Yeah. And big thanks to Steve Evans from the Beta Flight Dev team. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Have a great everybody. night. See you in two.